We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for FlexBox, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. We invite you to join us as we discuss how to shift the classroom, the learning environment, the mindset, and the pedagogy to try something new, reignite wonder, and reimagine education. If you are in the Bay Area, we are currently accepting applications for students for the fall of 2023. Yes, we have limited spots available, and also for our elementary and middle school starting at TK through seventh grade for fall of 2024. Up Academy has created our framework so that new and existing schools can develop imaginative, exciting, relevant, engaging learning environments for all of their students. We're excited to introduce the Rebel Project Literacy Curriculum. It's a fully integrated literacy and project-based learning curriculum that supports social-emotional development and is based on skills and competencies. Learn more at projectup.us. Have you ever thought of opening your own school? Project Up is also supporting new educators and families to create schools like Up Academy and schools of your own design. Reach out to join our affiliate network at projectup.us. Now, let's get to today's episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome, Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Brian Curcio. Brian's first word was money. He's always been fascinated with the world of investing. He developed Rapunzel as a financial literacy ed tech tool to revolutionize how we teach students about investing and to provide equitable access to high-quality, project-based learning tools for students across the country. The world of returns is perched in an ivory tower, inaccessible to most investors. In response, Rapunzel helps everyone climb to financial success with free, simulated investing competitions as well as an integrated curriculum. Rapunzel was a 2022 YAS Prize finalist, recognized as one of eight transformational education groups across the country. Congratulations on that and welcome, Brian. Thank you. Excited to be here. Is that true? Was your first word really money? 
It was, yeah, much to my mom's disappointment. She thought it was mommy, but it was money. <laughs> Both my parents were investment bankers, so it was kind of growing up, I had a lot of the exposure to the world of finance that you don't really get in the traditional school system. And so I think the biggest motivation for starting Rapunzel was trying to change that and trying to make kind of these tools about money accessible to everyone. Can you talk a little bit about Rapunzel and how it works and the competitions that you run online? Like as someone who's launching a middle school, I'm super curious about what that would look like in the classroom and like how that can be utilized or kind of who's using it and where and how you set that up. Yeah, absolutely. So Rapunzel's a gamified financial literacy platform. And so what that means is that whenever a student creates an account, we give them a $10,000 stock portfolio and a $10,000 crypto portfolio. And then they're able to buy and sell companies or cryptocurrencies in real time as if they had created a $10,000 investment account. And then students are able to take those portfolios and enter them into competitions. And one of the competitions we host is a scholarship competition from October until the end of April. And so that has about 25,000, 30,000 high school students participate in it each school year. This school year was the first year we opened it up that middle school students can also participate. And all of the scholarships are then just saved into 529 savings accounts for the students for kind of educational purposes. So it's really trying to combat this issue that reading, writing, arithmetic are applicable in every job. And that's why we have this huge focus on them. No matter what job you get, to my knowledge, you're paying taxes when you get that first paycheck. But for some reason, we're not teaching about taxes or about budgeting and saving and credit cards in school. And so I was trying to make a way to really like engage students with a little more context around why financial literacy is important in their lives, even if they don't go into a career in financial services. Yeah, well, it could be argued that it's every bit as important as reading, writing, or arithmetic. Right. <laughs> and definitely something that all of us as adults use in our daily lives of figuring out, does my checkbook balance? Do I have enough money to pay my bills? Can I go out to dinner? What does my life look like? How do I set myself up for the future? What does investing look like? Right. And all of those different things. But you're right. Like I was taught taxes in school. I took a class. It was called social something or other in high school. And it went through things like how to balance your checkbook and how to do a basic 1040 easy form, like what taxes looked like. But definitely nothing of this scale, honestly, until I got to a master's degree, which by then I was in my 30s. And this would have been really useful in my 20s. Well, and what we teach the kids is like, the whole idea of compound growth is that the most important factor is time. And so it's like by the time you're learning it in your 30s, it's like you could have capitalized on 10 years of growth. And so that's what we're trying to just get kids to appreciate that piece of it. And then kind of what came from it, I mean, it started with just teach financial literacy, but there's so many kind of social emotional learnings to take away from simulating a stock portfolio. The students are able to have ownership over these companies and then over their own portfolio. And then there's a ton of needing to adapt as things change, but then also kind of having conviction in your investment thesis because you're not going to pick 10 stocks that are all going to do well. And so it's kind of like learning how to deal with that failure because money is really emotional. And I think that 
trying to experience that in a risk-free environment first is really beneficial as you're trying to learn how to manage your money. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech? Tools that assume every student learns the same way at the same pace. I need my technology to do more for me. That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K-12 curriculum and that it's proven benefit to all student populations, including English learners and students in special education programs. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results, combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com B for a demo. That's IXL.com B-E. Yeah, and that's really interesting because even just picking stocks, right? That's not looking at companies. You're not necessarily always looking at their financial outlook and how well they're going to do. And to your point, like even if you look at that and do the best research you possibly can, some of them just aren't going to hit their forecasting goals and do the things like they're just not going to do as well as you expected. But also looking at it from that social emotional aspect, like what are the things that we value and are we choosing companies to invest in based on our values as well? Or are we purely looking at financials or what is the emotional investment in that? Are you looking at it from that aspect also? Yeah. So there's all of the financial data within the app for students to kind of conduct their own research quantitatively. But then we've also, and it ties in with the YAS Prize grant that we won in December, where we received $500,000 to really grow the program nationally. And one of the biggest things we recognized was this need for financial literacy curriculum to accompany the app. And so one of the modules in there specifically talks about ESG, social impact investing, and trying to understand your power as a consumer that you don't necessarily have to go invest in oil companies if you want to have a more environmentally friendly portfolio, but also trying to explain it to the students that you don't have to exclusively have your morality portrayed in your stock portfolio. It's like the goal is to make money. So if you'd like to make money with these companies, they're still kind of available to invest in. Can you talk a little bit more about the social emotional piece that you're weaving through as far as growth mindset, dealing with failure, understanding how things went wrong, or even to that aspect, you know, we're looking at financials outside of a company. Is there any opportunity to dig into like really what did go wrong? Why didn't they hit the forecast we thought they did? You know, we thought we picked 10 amazing companies and three of them tanked. What happened? Did the CEO leave? Did the CFO mess up the books? Did their supply chain get bungled as happened with everybody during COVID, right? <laughs> like, so is there yeah, opportunity for them to really look deeper into the business too and see what's happening? Yeah, definitely. So the curriculum has case studies of what's happened with various companies throughout time, but there's also, we partnered with this financial firm, Benzinga, and one of the cool product offerings that we've integrated with the platform is this idea of why is it moving? And essentially, Benzinga has a group of analysts that go through about 7,000 stocks a day and seeing how the stock has moved. And then those rationales, which are like two to three sentences, show up on the app. So 
in real time, the students are able to understand, okay, Apple stock is down. Why is it down? And then there's an explanation for it to like better understand what's going on in the markets. And I think it ties in with these social emotional outcomes that we're looking for in that we want students to not necessarily just be going and buying stocks and then hoping for the best, but trying to reinforce like the why behind it. So we have a bunch of activities that we provide to teachers with the curriculum and all of it's geared around getting the kids to go a step deeper and like thinking, why did the stock move? One example we've used with students is Apple lost about 40% of its value during the 2008 financial crisis, except the financial crisis was about the housing market. And so it didn't really impact Apple to the same degree. And so trying to get students to think through if that scenario had happened, would you sell your Apple stock? And I think that what we're seeing with a lot of investors today is that there isn't that emotional regulation of sticking with a thesis. And so it's trying to impart that into students that you never want to be reactionary with your money. Yeah, that's really hard. That's the biggest thing that we see. And so much of what impacts the stock market is things start to drop and then everybody sells. And so it drops farther because everybody's selling, if I'm understanding this correctly. (laughs) And because everybody freaks out because it is such an emotional thing because so much of what we look at as our futures and what we look at as success is tied to money. Yeah. And it's like this measuring stick that when you lose $100, it's like you don't just think about losing the $100. It's like, what could the $100 have purchased? And so there's a lot of, it's really emotional. And so it's kind of trying to figure out that the best investors, I mean, I think it was Warren Buffett who had the quote that it was like, good investing should be like watching paint dry. It's really challenging because you have this huge proliferation now of online trading platforms and it's become really easy to start investing just through your phone. And every other platform we have on phones, it's like trying to have this really short attention span and and kind of short circuit how our brains naturally work. And unfortunately, with investing, it's like immediate gratification isn't investing. Like at that point, you're gambling. And so it's trying to show that there is no shortcut in terms of good investing. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I had a friend that used to call the stock market slow gambling. Right. (laughs) Well, and that's what we try to tell the kids. It's like when you're picking stocks, it's like you're going up against the world's greatest stock pickers, and even they don't really do that well relative to the overall market. And so the curriculum really emphasizes just like dollar cost averaging major index funds. And what grades or what ages is your curriculum focused on or geared towards? Uh, Like seventh through twelfth. Okay. So it's older middle school and then all of high school. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, going back to one of the first things you've talked about with the competitions, I was thinking about that. And so your students sign up, they get $10,000 in crypto and $10,000 in cash, cash in quotes, (laughs) to play with in the simulated event. But then they can win actual money back for their college funds and for educational accounts. Right. So there's something really tangible that they can also get out of this from spending the time and doing it well. Yeah. And the way we present it to students is like earn while you learn. And so when you have kids in a classroom learning about money and learning how to invest money, it just makes sense to tie the money to the actual learning. And so the way that that scholarship competition works is that 35% of the student's grade is based on their actual portfolio and how it does in the competition. 
And then the other 65% is based on a reflection essay. And so that's where we get more into, okay, you picked five great stocks. Why did you pick them? Would you keep picking them? And so trying to go through the leaderboard and find that there are kids who get lucky. There's investors in the real world that get lucky. And so it's trying to figure out that the luck is great. There's a huge just exposure piece for students. But for the scholarships, it's looking more at developing competency around these different financial concepts. And simulations, like project-based learning, simulations can be really engaging and engrossing for students. Do you find that kind of the more, or do you even track this, the more time that they've been with you or been in the simulation, are they spending more time there and doing research and learning more? And then I guess the second piece of that is when we do projects or when we do simulations as a school, so much of it expands and you start to hear the students talking about it at lunch and in the hallway and in passing and texting each other little jabs like, In this example, it'd be like, oh, my company outperformed yours. Like, are you looking for something else? Or if you want to invest in something great, check out this company I invested in. Are you seeing that sort of chatter? Is there a way for students to kind of communicate that and have that collaboration within the app? And then I guess the first part was that time. Like, are you seeing them spending more and more time the more they get into it? Yeah. So, I mean, we found that with students that the teacher is teaching the full curriculum, students average about 20 minutes a day on the Rapunzel app. So in our minds, it's like the kids are already on TikTok and Instagram. And so if you can get them to instead be checking out their stock portfolio, that's a huge win. And you're getting that time back for kind of more self-directed learning. And so we really try to push that side of it. And that's why we've really integrated the whole curriculum into the app itself. But all of these competitions, the leaderboards are transparent in the sense that you can see who's leading the competition and what stocks are in their portfolios. So it does encourage that collaboration between students in seeing what their friends are investing in versus their own portfolio. And part of the reason that we made it an app, and then we now have a web platform, but we started with an app for the same idea that you're saying that We would go into a classroom, teach 20, 25 students, and then the next day we'd check and there's 75 students at that school who have created stock portfolios. And so trying to figure out where did the numbers come from, it was like kids are leaving the class telling their friends, their friends are downloading it. And I think that's what we really were trying to create was it can be kind of this asynchronous learning track alongside existing classes, but then teachers can go deeper and adopt the full curriculum if they want. So how did you come to creating Rapunzel? I know you mentioned your parents were both in finance when you were a kid. You grew up hearing about and learning about money and investment strategies, probably around the dinner table. How did that become what is now Rapunzel? Can you share a little of that journey? Yeah. So I grew up my whole life. I had this plan of going and working in finance, probably pretty standard, like want to follow your parents. And so I grew up with talking about financial markets at the dinner table from a really young age. And then I went to high school where I met my co-founder, Miles. Miles was probably three lockers away from mine and had attended an elementary school that really emphasized financial literacy. And so we were two of the kids in high school that were really interested in investing. Our friends didn't 
understand why or how. And we remained friends through high school. And then it was around junior, senior year of college that both of us started seeing a lot of our friends kind of getting jobs, not knowing what to do with their money. Robinhood was gaining in popularity. So there was this huge influx of millions of new people investing for the first time. And Miles and I just saw there was this huge gap that people are signing up for brokerage accounts without understanding how to invest, which it's funny how that works. It's like credit cards, people sign up for credit cards, don't understand them. And now the credit card companies make money off of people not understanding. So it was like the same thing was going to happen. And I think we realized that trying to create a more educational pathway into becoming an investor was really important and would benefit these investors coming in. So I think we were a little ahead before. Now it's a lot of states are mandating financial education for high school graduation, which is great. And it's kind of just been trying to fill that need for the past five, six years now. Yeah, I got one of my first credit cards on my college campus because they were handing out $2 for filling out the credit card application. And I really wanted a banana chocolate chip muffin and they were $2 at the student union. So I filled out the credit card application so I could get the $2 so I could get a banana chocolate chip muffin, which was, you know, exactly the way you should get a credit card when you're 18 years old. <laughs> There's a lot of these. And we tell the kids a lot that it's like you go downtown in most major cities and the biggest buildings are owned by banks. And so it's like the banks can afford this and they're not just holding your money. It's like they're loaning the money out. But there's a lot of the financial industry makes money on people's ignorance and their misunderstanding. I mean, in 08, you had mortgage crisis. It's like without people understanding these things, I don't understand how we expect the future to be any different. Well, that's the definition of insanity, right? To continue doing the same things we've always done and expect things to change. <laughs> exactly. But it does seem like now there's a huge push, at least from our side, we've seen that a lot of at least independent schools seem to move a little more aggressively, it's like financial literacy is starting to become a major topic of education and concern. I think parents are starting to feel a lot more power over their kids' education. And I think that's helping influence it as well. That what we've experienced is you talk to teachers and everyone's like, God, I wish I had this when I was in school. And I think that the parents who are wishing that they had it in school are starting to find their voice and be like, no, it needs to be in schools now. So it's moving in the right direction. Probably not quickly enough, but it's getting there. Are you finding a mix of people who subscribe independently or homeschool students versus students and teachers within classrooms? Yeah, there's a good mix. I think that there's a large segment of homeschooling parents that find out about us. And a lot of the curriculum is it has teacher guides and accompanying like resources for the educators. So I think a lot of parents are feeling comfortable learning the material and then teaching it to their kids directly. Then at the same time, we have programs with large public school districts that have taken since I graduated college six years ago to get on the approval list. So there's a mix of people who email us and the following day, their kid is beginning to learn about it. We have we've gotten emails from a lot of high school students or even college students that use the curriculum on their own. And so it's kind of student-led learning, but mm -hmm. then going all the way to the teacher delivering the slides for a formalized semester or year-long program. I think that we can agree that financial education is good. If you were to look at it from the flip side and kind of play the devil's advocate, what do you see as the biggest danger of not doing financial education for students? 
I think that we're largely seeing the dangers have become a reality now where I was just writing something where I believe it's like over a third of Americans carry over credit card debt month to month. I know that they just did a survey of graduating high school students and about 40% of high schoolers don't know the difference between a debit card and a credit card. And just really taking those two facts against there's a ton of bad data on what's happening because of this financial illiteracy. But if people don't understand what a credit card is, and then they start carrying over credit card debt month to month, you start creating this inescapable cycle that you're really trapping people in poverty. There was a study that was saying it's like over half of Americans are a $400 parking ticket away from the poverty line, and they have no emergency savings. And it's like, that $400 could probably be made up in credit card interest if we really started adding it all up. So there's so many ways that people could be saving more or start building generational wealth and breaking this cycle of poverty. But by not teaching about money, it's like we tell kids that money makes the world go around and then that's about it. We don't teach them in schools. And so I think that all of that's coming home now and we're kind of having to deal with a widening wealth gap, this massive wealth disparity. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that financial literacies become this game of telephone where if your parents don't teach you about it, you don't learn about it. And so you have people with money or teaching their kids how to manage money and then people without it never learned about it. And so I think that that divide's just going to keep worsening unless we start addressing it. Yeah, I think that's the deeper point And that's the bigger issue is this can be one of many tools that we can use to help start to minimize that financial divide and give people the tools, at least the financial tools that they can start to use to be successful. When earlier you talked about compounded growth and getting into credit card debt is exactly the opposite of that. That's like compounded debt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so how can we steer clear of those dangers and make good financial decisions so that we can try and do better for our families so that our kids don't fall into those traps. Yeah. And I think it even extends beyond the impacts of it or kind of the benefits, I guess, just looking at positive lens. When we think of a robust democracy or like citizens understanding what's going on in the country, when the major stakeholders are making decisions based on financial outcomes or CEOs are evaluating how to run their business based on the stock price, if you don't understand that side and what's motivating these major stakeholders, I don't know how you could read the news effectively and kind of understand what's going on in the world. Because it's, again, this whole idea like money makes the world go around. And so if you're not understanding it, you're not really understanding these underlying forces and what's happening in the world today. Yeah, you can't really take an active role. Right. So I love to ask all of my guests a question about their elementary school experience, because I do run an elementary school. And so I love to hear what people remember from their elementary school years. Can you share a story of something that you remember from when you were in elementary school? Yeah. So I went to a private elementary school in Chicago, and there was a, I still remembered the application process. And I think applying to high school was scarier than college for me. I believe it was seventh grade and like the whole class doing four-day standardized tests. And it was before the actual standardized and it was all applying to high schools. And 
then it was like probably eight different schools coming from around the city to then learn on stage, did you get accepted into this program? I don't think I've ever had as much stress as that day. I think that that one stood out as like, okay, this is the real world. And to think back that I was like 13 years old, being like, all right, I'm a grown up now. But I do have fond memories. I had a good middle school experience, fortunately. I like middle school more than high school. That's rare. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> high school was the dip. College was good. Middle school was good. High school was like, what's going on right now? But it was all good. So they actually, like, the schools were on stage making their acceptance letters for all of the students. Like, it was public. It was public what your grade was on, uh, I think it was IHSA. Wow. Yeah, with these Illinois high schools. So we got to quickly see all of our classmates and how they did and what they scored. And yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, talk about creating competition and ranking among students. Exactly. I don't think, I'm sure that they've revised it now. Probably wasn't very healthy for any of us. It stands out in your memory. <laughs> exactly. It did something. I don't know if that was trauma or positive, but it worked out. I got into the high school I wanted. So that was good. So how can people get in touch with you? The easiest way is just emailing Brian at Rapunzel.org. It's Rapunzel without the E, because otherwise you find a lot of princess games. That's the easiest way. And just, I mean, getting started, the Rapunzel app is free for iOS and Android. There's also a free web platform, and it's just at Rapunzel.app. And it's totally free to use. All of the prizes are funded by larger financial institutions that are investing in financial literacy. So there's kind of no cost to kind of get started learning more about world of finance. Wonderful. Out of curiosity, how did you choose Rapunzel? Because I have daughters who were super excited about Tangled and Rapunzel and <laughs> seeing the movie. And this is a very different concept. <laughs> we kind of stumbled onto it with Robin Hood gaining popularity. So there was this whole fairy tales was kind of like a topic in our minds. And then I think that the imagery of just something trapped in a tower and no one has any idea how to get up there. We just really immediately gravitated to kind of this metaphor of Wall Street's kind of like that. And both my partner Miles and I at the time were interning at hedge funds and both of us were at like 50th, 60th floor in New York. And you do start to feel like it's an ivory tower. So it was just kind of very on our minds at the time. It was like, okay, this would work. Interesting. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Brian. This has been fantastic. And I hope that listeners, educators, and parents check out Rapunzel and check out their financial literacy platform and help our students to be financially literate adults. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for another episode of Rebel Educator. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for spending your limited time with us learning how to be rebels in education. If you'd like to learn more or access our project library, you can go to rebeleducator.com. If you'd like to learn more about our progressive elementary and middle school in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out upacademy.com. Interested in learning more about our Rebel Literacy Project curriculum or launching your own school and joining our affiliate network? Visit projectup.us. And if you haven't read it yet, pick up your copy of my book, Rebel Educator, create classrooms where impact and imagination meet on Amazon or anywhere you read or listen to your books. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Look forward to talking to you soon. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators.
There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.